Hi, welcome to Offscript. I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Andy, Dune is out. I don't believe it. It's Dune. finally here. <laughs> Dune. Dune. Yeah, it was like the, it needs the Futurama. Yes. Dune. Dune. Oh, I'm so glad Dune's here. Dune is finally here. If you've been listening to the show, uh, you know we've been very excited about it. Uh, Denis Villeneuve's new blockbuster has arrived. We have seen it. We're very excited to talk about it. Uh, we're also going to take a look at Saint Maud, the 2019 A24 film about a, a young hospice nurse with a very, very devout relationship with Christ. Uh, is on Hulu. We happen to find it over the weekend. We needed kind of a pinch hitter um, because the French Dispatch doesn't actually come out till next week. Uh, so we found St. Maud in the meantime, we watched it and we're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about things that are coming out in November, uh, including mo- movies like Eternals and Ghostbusters Afterlife. So stick around for that. And before all of that, we need to get to the news and the biggest news of all that I, I probably shouldn't have front loaded on the show, but I told Andy I had to, cause I'm so excited <laughs> about it. Andy Dune 2 is happening. I don't Dune believe two. it. <laughs> oh right. my God. Amazing. Amazing. I'm so Dune excited. Dune 2 Sandy Boogaloo. Yes. <laughs> Sandy Boogaloo, is that what you said? Yes. Yes. I, oh, yeah. A thousand times yes. I'll pay the price. Right. So Dune was just made... Uh, they didn't make... This was a very brave thing to do. Denny Villeneuve made the first movie without knowing whether or not they would make the second movie. And basically, it, would, it, depend, it all depended on how well this first movie did at the box office. Luckily, it's done well enough. We'll talk about that more later. Um, so Dune 2 will be happening. We'll see it in two years on October 20th. 2023 uh it's a long time to to wait but um like i said they kind of had to wait and see how how this would do um i think this strategy is nuts i get why they do it uh warner brothers pushed out uh dune that's who that's where this is coming from specifically legendary pictures it's published by warner brothers uh before this warner brothers did this exact same strategy with new line cinemas it films they released it as its own independent film and then at the end of the movie surprise you get a title card that says it chapter one Uh, And then the next one came a couple summers later. They did the same thing. They didn't shoot it one back to back. They shot the first one just to see how it would do. And then greenlit the second one based off its success. What's interesting about Dune is Denis Villeneuve really wanted a piece of this back when Legendary got the rights to it all the way back in 2017. He came forward. He was like, I want a piece of Dune. This movie's going to be awesome. I've always wanted to do it. I really, you know, he just, he just come off Blade Runner 2049. He was really excited. And Warner Brothers gave him the project with the condition, of course, that they shoot them one at a time and kind of see where it goes. But since then, they've announced a prequel series that's going to be on HBO called Dune Sisterhood uh, about the Bene Gesserit sisters. Oh, wow. uh, yeah. And Dune sa- and uh, Denis Villeneuve said at the Venice Film Festival for this movie when it premiered that he actually wants to do three movies, Dune 1, Dune Part 2, and then a film for Dune Messiah, which I think is... Uh, the second book in the series. He always wanted to tackle that one. So he's got big aspirations. Warner Brothers has big aspirations, and I'm very pleased to see this finally happen. Thank God, right? <laughs> yes, yes. Dune's, like this, a, Dune's a ton of fun. Yeah, there's a lot to... Um, we'll get into this more in, in our review, but uh, we haven't had a big kind of property like this in a really long time. And I, yeah. I've said this, we, like, we haven't had something like Lord of the Rings really um i mean the marvel thing yes they made a a ton of films but it's kind of different it's not one property and it's kind of a ever-evolving medium lots of different separate things coming together but we haven't had this kind of uh an epic multi-film uh work and like i said since lord of the rings it's very hard to do and very expensive so it looks like we we might be getting kind of the epic of this generation 
Absolutely. Not to mention Dune has always been uh, a, a book that's described as like a, a book that cannot be adapted into a film, right? Uh, uh, David Lynch did it in 1984 with his adaptation of Frank Herbert's Dune. Um, but this is supposed to be an entirely different undertaking. It's building an entire galaxy's worth of lore and history around a humanity that is very much forward in the future. Um, that's not easy to do, especially in one film. Uh, we'll talk about whether or not we actually get over the finish line in the movie itself. You're going to have to stick around for the review for that. But before we get to it, some tragic news this week. Uh, a cinematographer on the set of Rust, a film being shot here in Texas, I believe, uh, was New shot. New Mexico. I'm sorry. Thank you. It uh, was shot and killed uh, on set after a misfire uh, from a prop weapon by principal actor Alec Baldwin. Uh, really not something we normally cover on this show. Definitely a little dark for us. Um, but this has been getting so much press this week. So many people have been talking about this and how wondering how it could happen. We felt like we should probably just take a couple minutes to address it and maybe talk about on the industry side what happened here and what may, uh, you know, what may happen because of this. Andy, can you give a little bit more details on, um, you know, yeah, the boots yeah, on the ground? Yeah, so I'll, I'll do a short summary and then get into details. So uh, the short story is that actor Alec Baldwin was shooting a scene in this Western. Uh, he shot... Uh, what was p believed to be a, a gun with uh, blanks. Uh, and I just learned this this week. There's no such thing as a fake gun or prop gun. Uh, they use real guns on set, They use, but they use uh, blanks. They use, you know, I don't want to say fake ammo, but they use uh, non-live rounds. Uh, that way the guns look and feel real and then get smoke and, and like, all the gun stuff without um, the lethal part. Um so, but uh, there was an accident. Somehow there there was there was a live round uh, in in the gun, and uh, the cinematographer Helena Hutchinson was hit and and killed. And there was also a, um, I think another someone else in the crew was. I think the director actually was. Yeah, the was film's hit. director Joel Souza was hit as well. Right, because um, he was standing behind. So, like, I mean, it's pretty powerful. The bullet went through the first person, hit the second person, and uh, he was in the hospital. Uh, in kind of in critical condition for the first night, and then I think he's he's going to be be okay. But it's this very bizarre story where you know an actor was was given a gun that was supposed to be have a blank. It had live ammo, and he shot and killed someone. And that's just it's messed up all around, and it's completely traumatizing for the actor, for everyone who was there on set, um, and of course the loss of life uh, equally. And so now that the, now there's a lot of finger pointing and a lot of like who's who's responsible who who's supposed to and so from what i understand there's someone called a, a prop master or armorer who is supposed to um clear all make sure basically make sure all the guns are safe to use make sure that there's nothing in the barrel make sure they're ready to go and have the right ammunition and they're prepped for the shot and um these safety protocols weren't followed or were neglected we don't really know uh but like I said, uh, an actor was given a gun with a live round and they shot and killed someone. And so uh, they're still investigating the matter and, you know, we're waiting for more details. But that's that's the overall gist of what's been happening. Obviously, it's a tragic incident. Uh, there's been a ton of outpouring on social media from people in and outside of the industry, of course. Uh, people have questions. People want to know more. 
And that information will come out as the Santa Fe Sheriff's Department uh, finds out more and investigates what exactly was going on on the set of Rust. Um, there's been some interesting uh, comparisons. Uh, a lot of people drew uh, 1993's The Crow uh, as a quick comparison here. Actor Brandon Lee uh, was shot and killed on set due to an incident similar to this. Uh, there was also an incident on a CBS show called Cover Up in 1984 where a principal actor was injured by a firearm. Um, it's frustrating. I, I, I'm not an armorer. I'm not a prop master. I, I have no idea how this stuff actually happened. <laughs> so I can't, I can't, I can't really speak towards like exact prop, you know, uh, processes, uh, and how this could happen on set. Um, I hope there's some kind of, of small shifts though, at least I, I know, I know the, the kind of film filmmakers union, I, I, A, T, S, E. Uh, has since said nobody on that set was actually in union, so they didn't really have a lot of say or sway over what was going on. This is not something that is normally practiced. Um, mm -hmm. Just a, just a tragic story. And if there's any big developments, we'll let you know here on Off Script. Mm -hmm. uh, with, yeah. Well, I just I just want to mention there's a lot of ways. I, th I think the way uh, Brandon Lee died, there was like an extra casing, or and that's again what the armor is supposed to do. He's supposed to make sure that the gun is clear because if a gun has a blank in it, but there's some sort of something left over in the barrel, like a projectile, it can become a projectile and, and be lethal. Um, so there's again there, there's people who are supposed to check check all this, make sure everything's safe to use. Uh, that there's no debris or residual whatever, and but like I said, in this case, for some ungodly reason, there were live rounds in it, and I don't even know why. Well, no, there are reasons why you would have live rounds on set, but like I said, there's people that are supposed to check it and make sure it's all safe to use. And it's um, true, and 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 for whatever those reasons are, I know they're few and far between. I mean, I, I've seen people, yeah, the other other prop masters on Twitter since then who've said like there never ever should be one. Other people have said, well, no, you're supposed to use them to keep the guns fresh because on set you're using real guns with fake ammunition. That's the deal. Um, I, I don't really know. Um, but whatever it is, um, you know, hopefully, hopefully we'll learn something from this because my God, it's yeah. tragic. Yeah. Um, you know, our hearts go out for, uh, Helena and her family. Uh, our last story box office Dune has wormed its way into first place this weekend. Uh, no, the new bond film. No time to die is tumbling backwards a little bit. And I want to talk about that. And also some unique news around the soft opening for Wes Anderson's new film, the French dispatch. It gets a full release, uh, this Friday. Andy, what, why? Okay. <laughs> for, for people who are new to the show, why is it a big deal that Dune did well? Because I think a lot of people who don't know any better may be like, oh, who cares? It's just another sci-fi movie. But a lot of us in, in the cinematic community had a lot riding on this thing. We really yeah. wanted this to do well. Yeah, this had to do well. Otherwise, the sequel was just not going to get made, which mm. would be a, a, a tragedy. Um, but also, it's a win for everyone. Because uh, this debuted, it was hybrid release. So you could watch it at home on HBO Max. Um, so it made the most money of any hybrid release that, that Warner Brothers has has done, it surpassed uh, Godzilla vs. Kong was was the last one. Um, it's also the, a bit the biggest opening for Denis Villeneuve, uh, who his prior film, Blade Runner 2049, that, that had been his biggest opening. So he is potentially... I mean, he, he's going to be a blockbuster director eventually, but he hasn't, he hasn't really had massive, massive financial uh, success. So it's a, good, it's a good win for him. It's a win for Timothy Chalamet, the uh, you know the actor who will save cinema. Um, <laughs> That's right. Yeah, our our new Tom Cruise, Timothy yeah. Chalamet. I mean, you know, I I the same I, initials. I really wanted to to not 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 like him, but just not not think he was 
what everyone <laughs> seems Dude, to be. But but I, I th- know I th- I think he might he might really be like Every, he, yes. He, he, he Everybody is, needs to get on the Chalamet train. It's happening. I, yeah, I don't like it either. It's fine. <laughs> Kid's got um, chops. He's good. Anyway. But the uh, but yeah the the movie's been uh, su- successful. Number one at the box office, forty million dollars. Also uh, highly watched at home uh, from some of the home stats that we have on uh, for HBO Max. Uh, so it's it's doing really well. Yeah, it's it's a big deal. Uh, not only for Villeneuve uh, being his biggest film to date, right? Congratulations to him. That's tremendous. Uh, additionally, a small shout out to us Blade Runner 2049 fans. We lost the fight. We're winning the war though, right? Like <laughs> yes. Blade Runner 2049 didn't do awesome, but this is doing good. We're getting a sequel. That's exciting. Uh, what was really interesting to me about this is uh, pre-pandemic, right? $40 million for, for a film this size is not particularly impressive at all. That's pretty meddling. Post-pandemic, it's pretty exciting. But what what was really interesting to me was this report on a deadline a couple weeks before Dune came out. Um, they were interviewing uh, an official, like a vice president or somebody at Warner Brothers, and they were asking, hey, what's the bar for success for Dune? Like, what kind of numbers are you guys looking at uh, from the box office? What do you want to see? And they said, overwhelmingly, the thing they want to see the most from Dune is HBO Max views. They want to see how many people are watching and subscribing on that platform. They said that will be the thing that likely greenlits this feature. Like we we have our projections for how it's going to do it's going to do in the box office, and that's exciting. But what happens in HBO? That's going to determine like platform viability going forward. That's important to Warner Brothers. So seeing it make forty million dollars is great. But knowing that in the background, whatever happened on HBO, whatever numbers they saw was enough for them to go, absolutely, we want another piece of this, we want another a bite of this apple, is tremendous. That's that's a huge success, both for what we can see and can't see. So a tremendous congrats to Villeneuve and friends. Uh, he's been getting support from all kinds of filmmakers on the internet. Even Christopher Nolan came out of the woodwork and made an appearance on social media to say that he is a tremendous fan of Dune. It's hard to imagine... Villeneuve does not have some serious trappings as the next great something in Hollywood, right? I mean, I'm, am I overshooting Andy by saying Denis Villeneuve might be like the next great thing? I mean, my God. No, I mean we we've known this for for years. I mean he hasn't made he hasn't made a bad movie. He he literally can't miss. Like, literally has not missed yet in his career. I, it's, I'm it's trying insane. to go back. So from Sicario, Enemy, Sicario. Uh, prisoners prisoners arrival not necessarily in that order i think i got one of those out of place. Yeah. but like arrival uh, was was kind of his big kind of bigger debut it was, it was a big film and it like that's right that's a classic blade runner 40 building yeah 2049 unfortunately they didn't do well financially but it's an incredible film it's cult classic and, and now this and he's just yeah he he's kind of like what spielberg was doing 30 years ago was you know just thinking on a massive scale Yes, very exciting. Uh, and I want to talk about more about what he's doing in the film, but a quick mention, I, I know we're way over on news time here. Uh, a couple other things I wanted to talk about in here. Uh, no Time to Die, I had some middling news. I don't think it's like a flop. I don't have the numbers exactly in front of me. Andy, do you remember how it did? Like, Because uh, no, some people just, were asking just... whether whether or not that's officially a flop, and I wanted to follow up. I, I don't think it is i think it's just kind of right in the middle man which yeah, i think I, is acceptable for the final bond movie yeah it's just it's it's dropping is what it's doing and it it's it has crossed the 500 dollar 500 dollar 500 million dollar mark um which is i mean half a billion dollars isn't a flop but it needs to make i it needs to make like 600 million just to break even mm-hmm. uh so what is what it's not is a bona fide success um 
usually this is like a billion dollar property or close to a billion dollar property and it's not making that so i i, I think it'll break even it'll be It'll do fine. It'll do fine. It's. It would, yeah. I don't think it's a flop, but it's not a hit either. I've got the numbers here. Yeah, James Bond pick. No time to die. Raised past five hundred million globally. So it's about five hundred twenty-five million dollars right now. Andy's right. They're looking to make more than that. Originally, during the pandemic, when they were talking about selling the film to MGM, was talking about selling the film rights to Netflix or Amazon or something. They wanted eight hundred million for it. That was their asking price at the door. So we have an idea, at least, of what they kind of wanted to make. Um, they're definitely still falling short. Obviously, they still got some time. There's going to be Blu-ray sales. You know, they'll probably end up crossing the mark, but um, maybe not quite as exciting as they'd hoped. And two more things. Uh, the French Dispatch, Wes Anderson's new film, uh, comes out this next week uh, globally, but I wanted to mention this statistic. Uh, they, they, they soft-released in only 52... That can't be right. 52 locations? No. Okay. The stats are wrong. I don't know what I'm talking about. Never mind. Let's just move on to Dune. <laughs> I don't want to get, I don't want to get caught up in the French dispatch. We'll talk about it next week. I want to talk about Dune. So it's time to talk about Dune. Andy, any other thoughts before Dune? I'm ready. I feel like All we right, talked about Andy, it a let's, lot. Let's, let's talk about, uh, please take it away. You're going to be covering the summary on this. Uh, without further ado, sir. Dune. So this is the long awaited sci-fi epic by Director Danny Villeneuve, starring Timothy Chalamet, Rebecca Ferguson, Oscar Isaac, Jason Momoa, Stellan Skarsgård. This really great cast. Um, this, as we, we've talked a lot about this, this uh, is based on the 1965 novel and uh, kind of series by Frank Herbert, uh, who was a science fiction writer. Um, this film has had tr a troubled kind of production um, in the past uh David Lynch made a version in, in the 80s that's really bad. French director Hodorowski wanted to make like an 8 to 10 hour epic film about this, um, which there was a documentary of. That film never got made. Hodorowski's Dune is the name of that documentary, and I really want to see it. I haven't seen it yet. Um, so this is kind of a, a storied property that uh, everyone has wanted to see on screen. It was deemed unfilmable, and uh, here we are. So... The story is, it centers on a young Paul Atreides, played by Timothy Chalamet, who is the, the heir to the son of House Atreides. And this is taking place far in the future, 10,000 years uh, from now. Um, his, his family has been gifted or given the planet Arrakis, which is this desert-like planet. And uh, it has this resource called Spice that's very valuable. They have been tasked with going to the planet kind of ramping up production while also subduing or making peace with uh, the locals, which are known as Fremen. Uh, so there's a lot of houses, houses, or sorry, there's a lot of names. Yeah, there's a lot, so many it's, names. It's a lot yeah. like Game of Thrones, so I'm not going to try, I'm going to try not get too too much in the weeds. You're, you're taking an admirable stab at it. I want you to know that. Go, <laughs> okay. go on. Yeah. Um, so, and the, the, the planet Iraq has, has been taken from a kind of a rival house called the Harkonnen, who aren't real happy about the situation. So House Atreides goes to the the desert planet Arrakis, and it's a very da dangerous situation, politically dangerous. There's uh, everyone wants them to fail. Uh, they have to somehow make peace with the the natives. Essentially, they have to ramp up production. They have to make sure they're not getting stabbed in the back at, at the same time. Uh, so there's a lot of kind of political intrigue happening. Meanwhile, in the background is this kind of prophecy of 
this messianic prophecy of the one person who is going to come and kind of free the people, save the world. The Christ this, figure, that's right. Right. Yeah. And many people believe it to be the young Paul, Paul Atreides, Timothy Chalamet, who may be, may well be the savior of cinema as well, while we're talking about it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, so it might th- be. There, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of characters, but that's kind of the overall, I'll just, uh, of the story, that's, that's our setup. Again, this is far in the future, sci-fi, you got planets, houses, political intrigue, um, and lots and lots going on and lots to talk about, but that's what we got so far. So, Zach, what'd you think? Um, so I really enjoyed Dune. Uh, j- just just off the top, uh, I-, I thought Dune was a ton of fun. I think Dune is a vast, expansive film. I, I think it sets so it sets so many. It's it builds a really brilliant framework for how I think a a interesting cinematic universe can be built in a short span of time. It, it accomplishes a ton, and it's two hour and forty five minute runtime. Somehow, it's like the shortest three hour movie I've ever seen. Like it, it just felt like it flew by. The only downside of of Dune is that it does not quite feel like a complete film. It's lacking something at the end of it, and and that will come with time, uh, as Legendary Pictures confirmed today uh, with, with, a, with another film. But what is here is so rich and exciting and engaging for science fiction fans. If you like sci-fi film, you cannot miss with this movie. You have got to go see Dune. Now let's talk about why. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I... My two cents of, of this overall impression was I, I was really blown away by this. And I came into this kind of skeptical because I knew it was a big property. I knew it had the, the young Chalamet. Um, and I was like, well, you know, how good can it really be? Um, but I did, I did, you know, Denny Villeneuve is is fantastic director. But I, I was really, I was blown away by the visuals, by the kind of epic story, the soundtrack. I mean, it's really cinema on the largest scale. And I mean, it made me think of other films and how small they look in comparison. Like this makes star Wars look quaint. This makes Christopher Nolan look small, you know, who, who generally is thinking on large scales. And I was just thinking how much better this movie is than some of those others that we know so well. It's so unique in in its presentation that way. Cause yeah, you're right. It feels so grand. I mean, this, this does not feel like a small director making like a big feature. This feels like, like somebody with sweeping scope and vision building something grand. And, and I think a big part of the reason that is, is because Villeneuve has such a great eye for scope and scale. You may remember way back when Arrival came out, seeing that giant vertical ship amongst like people on the ground who were standing out in the field where it was parked and you'd get this wide camera view where you see it together. You see people and we know the size of them and we see these ships, which are huge. And that immediate visual distinction between the size of something we know and something fictional and new draws a tangibility to it that makes it feel real. And that's what this movie is all about. Every time you see something big and large, there's something there to indicate just how huge it is, right? You'll, you'll see Paul Atreides look like a, an ant next to a giant city, or, or you know, you'll, you'll, see, you'll see his father look, look like a, a, a small something next to a huge ship. Um, it's incredible. It's incredible. And that's something Villeneuve has, it, like, it's, has, it feels like he's mastered here. Right. His world building is so convincing. Um, again, this is the future, but it's, again, it's not Star Wars. And I listened to to a podcast where they said they specifically are not trying to look like, they don't want anyone to think, oh, this is like Star Wars. 
Um, and they've done a really good job with it. I, I think one of the things, like you said, is scale. Like we're talking massive shit ships, massive massive fleets. <laughs> yeah, huge shit, man. <laughs> <laughs> massive ships. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. Um, uh, you know, thing things in space, but also it, it's quite small in that it's dealing with a family, a mother, father, son, like these really close relationships, uh, as as well and just um it, it looks very military much more and that's something that i think really sets it apart from star wars star wars is much more like again it's the space western this is much more mili- militant all, all the different houses have they have uniforms there they everything's kind of this dull gray uh but like so they got these massive ships and, and machines and um that that's really inventive because that's one of the uh, the alleged signs of really advanced super uh civilizations is superstructures and that's what we kind of see uh in this film yeah um additionally like you, you mentioned that that kind of shift in color palettes um you know the the film principal photography for dune took place in a couple of places mostly norway and abu Ghraib, and then like out in the deserts out that way uh and and i don't know where exactly that stuff takes place but what i do know is visually it looks fantastic like we get these wonderful distinctions. You can see it in the poster. And additionally, if you're looking at us on uh, Facebook Live, I've got a screenshot there from the film you can see as well. Like you get these wonderful draws of blue and orange that really come out, right? The orange of the sand and the spice melange that's that's just floating there above the surface uh, versus like these rich blues of like a, a, a planet just, just off the edge of space, you know, or... Or this uh, unique color we see where they're filming out in Norway, but uh, Villeneuve's ability to like draw visual contrast uh, in the lens is phenomenally important. Additionally, brilliant costuming and set design all around. Uh, it makes these places feel so much more tangible, right? Every soldier is in a uniform that is cut for them that looks like it's been passed down from generations of humans and 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 tradition, right? And legacy that you'd see in these military outfits. Uh, the Fremen uh, on Arrakis have these have these like uh, I I, I want to say almost like Tatooine, which again I should not be comparing this to Star Wars, but uh, you know they 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 look like these sand dwellers, right? Who <laughs> have these rags on them and like all these goofy uh, trappings for survival. Um, it makes everything feel so tangible. Like I know I keep saying that, but like it just makes it feel like something you could reach out and touch. And so often, Star Wars feels like an amusement park ride, like it, or it feels like a you know a, like a, a cartoon, a, a galaxy far, far away. Yeah, but this this feels like something different. And you're right; it could so easily fall into just looking or feeling like Star Wars, but it it totally doesn't. Uh, really, something future Star Wars creators should be looking at for inspiration is a movie like Dune. Yeah, absolutely. Like that's what I was thinking. I was when I was watching. I was like, "This looks so much. This is so much more inspired than Star Wars is at the at the moment." You know, in 1977, Star Wars was inspiring, uh, but in the last few years, it it really hasn't been in a lot of ways. And this this film thinks bigger, like acts bigger. It, it wants you to. I mean, just this again. We're going to talk about scope uh, quite a lot, like the the scope of the the settings, the epic at at hand, like these warring houses. It's 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 incredible. Additionally, we should probably talk about the scope of our cast, which is sweeping. Uh, I, I I cropped it out on the Facebook on the Facebook stream if you're watching, but at the top of the poster, there's so many names you can't even like read them unless you're right up close to them. I mean, it's 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 an incredible cast of characters here. Uh, Andy, I hope you have a quick list together in case I need to cut to you because I won't be able to get them all here. But some of the more exciting ones are going to be Timothy Chalamet, Rebecca Ferguson, Zendaya, 
Oscar Isaac, Jason Momoa, Stellan Skarsgård, Javier Bardem, Dave Bautista. Um, I, I mean, the list the, the list goes on. Josh Brolin's in this movie. And everybody and everybody's actually pretty good, too, which is another thing that's stunning. Everybody's well-directed, whether they're in the film a little or a lot. Some are in the film a little less time, I think, to probably build to their appearance more in the second one. Others are really foundational here and likely won't be appearing in the second one much at all. It makes things feel like part of a a part of a whole, right? Part of a cohesive universe. This is yeah. a fellowship. Become, yes. Uh, this, this, this is only the beginning as is said in the movie and on the poster, right? This is, this is the beginning of something more. Yeah. The, again, you, you have the epic scope of the, the setting, but then yes, you have these Royal houses that have, you know, Royal guards. Uh, Oscar Isaac is the, the Duke Leto Atreides, who's like kind of the, the King of, of his house. And then you you have uh, his wife, or not his wife, his um, I don't know what to call her in the in the book, Lady Jessica Atreides. Lady Jessica uh, Atreides, yeah. Uh, Timothy Chalamet's uh, mother. She's a very important figure. They have a very special and close relationship, and also strained relationship at, at the same time. It's very interesting. And you have Josh Brolin basically playing him himself along with. Um, I Jason, Momoa. Jason Momoa yeah, as kind of military Duncan leaders. Duncan Idaho, so, yes. So you, you get a really interesting and diverse cast of characters in, in the desert people. And this is one thing I appreciate. The desert people are generally more dark-skinned people, which is generally what happens with yeah. people that have lived in the desert for uh, years and years. Um, so yeah, an incredible cast. And that was actually one of the challenging things about this film was getting everyone together, lining up schedules yeah, like just just trying to figure out the scale and scope of this uh, through, I mean, through putting it together uh, on the tail end, at least of the pandemic. I'm not sure when principal photography wrapped, but I'd imagine they were probably running into February 2019 when they did. And that, that's, you know, that's going to that's going to be when everything was shutting down. So uh, I I want to talk about the structure a little bit um, and I don't want to get too into any kind of spoilers or anything. I think this is one of those movies you probably are best experiencing going in as fresh as possible. Uh, so, so already I feel like we're, we're towing the line of what, what we should be telling you and shouldn't be telling you. But if you're still interested and haven't tuned out to go watch Dune yet, uh, I, I think the structure of this film is really interesting. Uh, the first couple hours really is world building. And I knew going into Dune, I, I haven't read the book. I haven't seen the David Lynch film. Neither has Andy. We're both pretty fresh on this. So I probably should have said that at the top. If you're, if you're out of the loop on what Dune is, so were we. So good news. You're, you're not going to be missing anything. Um, but the first couple of hours of this are, are building the world of Dune. And I knew going in that that was going to be difficult to do. I'd heard before that, like, there's just so much detail that you have to be able to understand. You have to be able to understand these large political systems. You have to be able to, able to understand where power is, what spice is, how it works, why it's important. All, all of that matters. And yeah, a show like Game of Thrones has the political trappings to produce that over the course of four or five episodes in the first season when they can start to introduce characters slowly over time. But Dune has to do that all in one feature. And Villeneuve does that brilliantly. Everything's yeah, I, exp Go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say that we, we are, like you said, we're both very fresh to the property. And I didn't feel lost at all. And I was... Now, I found out there's a bunch of lore and, you know, people have said, well, this is why this is that. and that. But you can... You can enjoy it without knowing all that. It's it's not a requirement uh, at all. It makes it a little bit more interesting. Um, but you can totally go in fresh without knowing anything about the the world or having read the books, and uh, you're going to enjoy it a lot. 
Additionally, like you don't feel particularly overwhelmed because everything is paced very slowly, right? Everything is drip fed. It starts at the beginning and you don't even get, a, you don't even open with like text on screen, which Blade, which Villeneuve could not get away with for Blade Runner 2049. Even that he had to open with like a big text wall that tells you what's going on. This doesn't have any of that. It just starts off with dialogue and explanation. And I love that. And each character will take a little time throughout the film to maybe explain things as they come or tell you a little bit more about them. It all feels contextual. It'll either be uh, Paul Atreides' father explaining something to him politically or maybe his mother teaching him a little bit more about where she comes from. Or maybe he'll be at, uh, at school watching a film book, uh, as he calls them, that are teaching him about the desert planet of Arrakis and the harsh things that live there. Like, it's all opportunities for the characters to learn more and we get to come along for the ride. And it's all fed to us slowly enough and with a tight enough script that it never feels overwhelming or too confusing. I felt like I was able to keep up with everything without even really trying. And that's that's not an easy thing to do with a property that people say is unfilmable. It's really yeah. hard to do. Right. I, I think the while scope is is difficult in itself, I think what's even more difficult is just to do scope in story, to to have an epic tale. And tell it in a convincing way that you're not just rolling your eyes at, you know, because when I realized that we were, it would be very easy to be like, oh, look, another messianic figure. Let me roll my eyes. And and that's not the the case at all. No, not at all. A couple other quick things, because we're running out of time and I would love to talk about it more. But I don't, you know, I want people to be like, go see it and judge for themselves. Um, I want to talk about the combat in the movie. It's something that I noticed. Uh, combat in the film uh, is a little limited by the technology available in the world of Dune. Uh, people use these like personal shields that are colored blue uh, to fight with hand-to-hand combat. Not a lot of guns or projectiles in the world of Dune. Um, really interesting. You get a lot of these fight scenes where you'll have multiple soldiers or people using these units fighting at the same time, and you get these flashes of blue and red up on screen. Uh, it's a really clever way to have like a unique choreography and fighting style that builds your world without having to just have like blood fly across screen or fly across the screen or just yeah. have kind of traditional violence as we all know it. Unique, well, simple world building. I, I liked it. I'm a fan. The, the choreography in this movie, the fight choreography is kind of neat. Yeah. You don't have this kind of, it would be very easy just to have like mindless gun battles where like side A and side B are just shooting around corners and at whatever. Um, it's definitely a lot, not like that. And and I read about why they, they kind of don't use firearms in this. There's a nerdy sci-fi explanation for it, but there is for a lot of things in this movie, but it's not important. You can just, again, you can go along for the ride without knowing all that. Yeah, and that's one of the things that I think that ultimately the script does so effectively. It cuts stuff out of the, of the book that you don't need to know in a way that doesn't feel non-contextual. Um, after the movie came out and we went and saw it a couple days after, yeah, you were sending me a couple links like, hey, in the world of Dune, this is a thing. And it's never mentioned in the film, but as in the rules of the film as you know it, you're like, oh yeah, okay, I, I get it. Yeah, I, I get why they wouldn't use that technology. Or, okay, I understand why they would practice this ritual instead of that one. Um, really, really, really efficient screenplay adaptation. Uh, hopefully award-worthy, uh, but we'll see come, come award season. And Andy, any other big thoughts? I feel like I could talk about it more, but I kind of just, people should probably just go see it. Right? Uh, yeah, amazing for a score. By oh, ha- oh my God, yeah. Hans Zimmer. I've been listening to it on repeat. Uh, definitely adds to the the scope, epic scope of the film. Yeah, stunning score. Uh, and and one more thing, Andy. How did we watch this, and how do you think people should go see it if possible? 
We saw this in theater. I've actually seen this twice already. Um, oh my god! Uh, I went, didn't know you went and saw it again. <laughs> went with I went with a with a different uh, friend on on Saturday because we saw it on Thursday night. We did, and then I, and then I actually ended up seeing it again on Saturday afternoon. So did I've seen it like twice. IMAX or Dolby Cinema or anything? No, it's just it was just another Alamo. But okay. uh, definitely, definitely see this in theater, and I'm definitely going to pay to see it a third time and go see it in IMAX. Uh, I wonder if they do a D box thing for this as well, because that would also be pretty fun. I think that's a good question. There's definitely a Dolby Cinema poster, so if you have one of those by you as well, and you can't get to an IMAX, you can at least feel your seat shake when the ships take off, which is a great time. I might go that way, um, but I do need to go see it again as well. Yeah, I, I watched it in theaters as well, and I went and saw it Thursday night premiere Alamo Draft House. Support your local Alamo, and. Uh, you know, we, we heard from some people that watched it on HBO and they were like, yeah, it was good. And Andy and I were meanwhile, like floored. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, like blew our hair back in our seats. Like the greatest like thing we've ever seen. My life has been changed again. Um, obviously, I haven't watched it on HBO and I can't hop in a time machine and go back to a time before I saw it in theaters. But if you have the means, like based on what I saw, like, please go see this in the theater. Like I, 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 I know there's a lot of advantages to watching it on HBO. I love watching stuff at home. And for some of these smaller features, especially some of the ones we're going to talk about in this next month coming up in November in just a second, uh, some of those you might want to just stay home and watch. It's fine. But like Dune, my God, like if you can go to the movie theater and watch anything in yeah. 2021, it might have to be Dune. I mean, my, uh, Oh, a cinematic <laughs> I, spectacle. I remember when The Force Awakens came out um, and I saw it over at the Omni Theater in Fort Worth, which is yeah. like the globe-shaped uh, theater. Like, this needs to be on that screen. Yeah, for sure. Like, you just want something tremendous. You just want to be swallowed by that image. Yeah. Andy, any other thoughts for recommendations? I'm ready. Andy, would you recommend Dune? Absolutely. It's definitely one of the best films of the year, if not the best film of the year. There'll definitely a lot a lot of stuff still to come out. Um, but I mean this reminds me of, of big hits from the last ten years, things like uh Mad Max, Fury Road, Inception. Uh it might it might very well be one of the best films of the decade, which is very early <laughs> to be saying that, but it's 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 tremendous. I've seen it twice. I loved it. I've been watching clips on online and have the soundtrack. It's and it's that blend of bold cinema. It, it is complex, uh, interesting, complex, uh, complicated science fiction, but also there's good action. There's good spectacle. It's it's for everyone. Highly recommend. Y- yeah, I, I highly recommend as well. Walk, walk, don't run, don't walk to the theater. <laughs> it's a, Dune is great. Like don't don't watch it on HBO. Go see it. Take a friend to go see it. Take your dad to go see it. Take your son to go see it. Take your take your mom to go see it. Like every I, Dune's good stuff, and and I know it's not for everybody. Before I just say everybody should go see Dune. Like there there are going to be people who are going to feel overwhelmed by the amount of information here. Who who do, who are not signing up for some kind of like large grand epic. There are people who just want to go to the movies and munch popcorn. Sometimes that's okay. It's not for everybody. But if you have the means, if you've listened to this review and are even mildly intrigued, go check out Dune. And and if you if you're not intrigued, watch it on HBO, I guess. But either way. Go see what Dune's about because there's more coming. Again, Warner Brothers is building a series. Reportedly, uh, Denis Villeneuve says he wants to do three films. This is just number two. This is the beginning. More could come. And speaking of things coming down the line, Andy, there's some exciting things coming out in November, which I'm, uh, you know, excited to talk about. That's right. It's time for our November film preview. Mm. So uh, the first weekend in November, November 4th uh, slash 5th, uh, we got a, a number of things coming out. 
The first is the Western, The Harder They Fall, uh, which will be out on Netflix. It might also be a theatrical um, release. Might, they might be doing a hybrid. Uh, limited theatrical or something? You're right. That's, that stars Idris Elba, um, Regina King, Keith Stanfield, and a lot of others. I think it's almost a, an all-black cast. Um, and this looks really fun. It looks like a great... Uh, kind of stylized western i think it's already come out um in some like in the uk and some other places uh so that'll be one thing we're looking forward to and then of course the big one is eternals marvel's eternals november 5th theaters only uh that'll be a big big deal looking forward to that and then the small smaller movie spencer which is about lady diana spencer um princess of wales will will also be out uh you know rest in peace (laughs) it's coming out the same day as eternals (laughs) Spencer looks like a great time. Uh, have you seen any reviews for Eternals? You, you, you traditionally avoid reviews. So I do. Sure. Uh, I think they've been all right. I think they've been. I, I think they've been all right. We'll see. We'll see what Eternals is about. It's still going to uh, make a hard, ton of money. Like. The Harder They Fall actually does have limited release. It's actually available in some theaters in some parts of the country right now. There's two two theaters near us that are running two limited shows today. So it looks like the limited theatrical release is October 22nd. It's coming to Netflix on November 3rd. If you have the means, check out The Harder They Fall. It might be a good time. Yeah. And uh, I guess I should, yeah, let me take the next weekend. Hey, the next weekend, the weekend of November 12th, two exciting films coming out. The first one is Belfast. Uh, it's the new Kenneth Branagh film uh, about a young boy and his working class family experiencing a tumultuous late 1960s. Uh, it's set the in Troubles. Bel- yeah, it's right. Uh, the, the, that. <laughs> Sorry, I, I read a book about this. That's why I know. Uh, okay, <laughs> I, I, I was I, I was I was immediately going to jump into like the struggle of the white man, you know, just just having a tough time. But I, I genuinely have no idea what life was like in working class London in the 60s. So, so for, it, all, for all for oh all I know, God. it might have been okay. terrible. I didn't, I didn't. Belfast yeah. is in Ireland. <laughs> Okay, well, excuse the me. Trouble, well, the trouble. Maybe, yeah, maybe me. I need to go see the movie and learn right. more. So. so just real, real quick. Uh, yes, the the troubles was a um, po- time of political turmoil in Northern Ireland between 1969 and I think 1974. Um, basically, be, between two factions. I mean, this is Catholic and Protestant. I think believe it was the Protestant government, which was not like 90 percent Protestant and kind of controlled all aspects of government, housing, food, jobs, all that. Um, and it, it just kind of turned into a civil war for several years, very bloody, uh, on both sides. Uh, at one point there were like 30,000 people in paramilitary, uh, organizations and, um, it's a very small country. It's like 2 million people. So it was a very small country to be at this big war. So th- this movie covers, you know, people growing up in that environment in the late sixties. Gotcha. Um, yeah, I, I, I apologize. I was blissfully unaware of that. To be in in my ignorant defense, all right. Uh, yeah, excuse me. <laughs> it's all right. It's all right. But yeah, let me explain how I was somehow right. Uh, the trailer's a little dry. You're definitely not going to get it. You're not getting combat scenes in the trailer for Belfast. It's pretty simple. Um, but you know, it could be neat. Brana's done some good work. Who knows? The other mo- big movie coming out on November 12th is Red Notice. Uh, it's the new spy thriller coming to Netflix starring Dwayne Johnson, uh, Ryan Reynolds and Gal Gadot as a trio of spies who have to, you know, heist something. Steal the, the thing. War. Yeah. They have to grab go- the fight. I think, the- I, yeah, I think they're against each other and then they have to team up to save the world or whatever. You know, it's a star-studded Netflix romp. It's probably pretty simple. If it's got a decent script, it'll be fun. Uh, we might check it out. We'll see. Moving on to the uh, the November 19th. We got a couple of big ones here. Uh, Ghostbusters Afterlife, 
finally coming to theaters after like a year and a half of delay. Um, I'm not super excited about it, but I'll definitely go see it just to see what it's all about. Um, who knows? It might surprise me. And the other big release is King Richard, uh, which is about the uh, father of Venus and Serena Williams, uh, played by Will Smith and his, uh, you know, story of him raising these two girls to be world-class tennis stars. And that looks really good. And I'm sure that'll be Oscar Beatty and everything. Yeah. Let me tell you, Ghostbusters Afterlife is a film that normally I'd be excited about. I'm a big, I'm a a very big Ghostbusters one and two fan. Uh, The third one was a bit of a miss for me. It was just a different direction. Uh, And this one is obviously trying to fall back into the lane of Ghostbusters one and two, but early reviews are middling and we'll have to see when it comes out. Additionally, King Richard, uh, didn't look <laughs> this opposite problem. Didn't look that good when I first saw the first couple trailers, but there was a cinematic trailer in front of Dune that looked pretty solid. I was like, okay, hold on. Like I'm starting to see the trappings of this looking, looking cool. So, uh, we'll see. That'll be in theaters. And I think that'll be on HBO as well when it comes out on the 19th, but What's I'm that? not sure. It's King Richard. I oh, think right. that's on that HBO release. That's list, right. That's I right. Uh, and lastly, November 26th, it sees three really big releases. First of all, uh, House of Gucci, uh, the other Ridley Scott feature that's coming out this year. If The Last Duel didn't do it for you, and supposedly it did. Mandy said that movie was awesome. Uh, I think I'm the only one who <laughs> like has enjoyed it. But For what it's worth, I've, I've seen a couple other reviews from people I, I know that watch films since, and they have equally said it's great. I need to go see that movie. Like it, it I think it really flew under the radar. But House of Gucci is going to be a lot larger I think of a release that features Lady Gaga, Adam Driver, Jared Leto is in this movie. Um, You know, much much more exciting. It's it's fashion and and intrigue and it's going to be, you know, backstabbing. It should be something. Additionally, Licorice Pizza, the new Paul Thomas Anderson film, is coming out soon. You know, looks like a whimsical romp around the the late 70s, early 80s with a couple of kiddos who were just finding their way in the film world. I've never seen Paul Thomas Anderson make a movie like that ever before. I'm sure it'll be great. Although I should say it does keep feature a couple of young upstarts, including um, uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman's son is the lead is, is, is one of the leads in this movie. So next time you see that trailer, take a look, might might be surprised. And lastly, uh, Encanto uh, from Disney is where Encanto is coming out. God, I'm, I'm I'm putting it together for the end of the show. Here we go from Disney. It's going to be on Disney plus Encanto is the new uh, Pixar. I don't even think it's Pixar. I think it's just Disney animated uh, from the studio behind frozen and tangled uh, and wreck it. Ralph Uh, uh, Encanto is the story of a young woman who lives with her family. That's entirely magical. Everybody has a unique power. Everybody has a gift except her. She's totally normal. So naturally shenanigans will occur, I think. Andy, what do you think about these three? Um, well, I, I'm excited for House of Gucci. That looks that looks interesting. Um, I'd love to see Lady Gaga on screen. Uh Licorice Pizza. I'm I'm kinda hot and cold on on is this yeah, is this PT Anderson or I can't remember which, which Oh, is Anderson. it PT Anderson? I can't oh, remember no. I can't remember. Yeah. Is it the director of the Resident Evil films or the director no. of The Master? The Master. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's the master. Yeah. Um, I, I am. We'll, we'll see that that could be a great coming of age film. It could be some self indulgent mess. Dude, I'm, uh, I'm so, I told you this before. I'm so hit or miss on him. I really am. I feel I, like I, I will either love one of his movies or think it's absolute trash. Like, yeah, no, like, like I love there will be blood, but like you couldn't pay me to watch the master again. Right. Whereas I think the master is like some of the finest cinema <laughs> and uh, a movie like, uh, I, I don't know. I got one in my head. I can't think of it. I just I'm not into it for him. Anyway, uh, Encanto would be fun. Do we know if that's going to be Disney plus like premium or anything? Pay like $30 I don't, to watch I don't that? know. 
Okay, we'll, we'll know more next week, I think. That's, we'll be closer to it. Anyway, uh, we should wrap up the show. I've got one more review for you. Uh, this is a movie that flew under the radar a little bit for us. Uh, we saw some really strong tra trailers for this before the pandemic. We wanted to see it, and then everything got shut down. This got pushed back. Andy and I never heard anything. Andy's got a big review site uh, he loves out of England. Uh, Andy, give him, a, give him a shameless plug. What are they called? Oh, that's the Kermode and Mayo's film review on the, right. the BBC. Excellent reviewers. And they saw this movie and they were actually big fans, right? I, I seem to remember you telling me they, they liked it a lot. Yeah. The, uh, so this, act, this is a British made film and it came out in the UK last, yeah. actually last fall. So it would have been fall of 2020. Uh, they loved it and it was uh, definitely people were seeing it over there. It's got like an all, it's very British. It's got a very British cast. Uh, no Americans. Um, so it's it was true. kind of a hit over there. So with all of that precedent, I want to say, uh, we are excited to talk about A24's St. Maud. So St. Maud is the story of a young, lonely, uh, reclusive hospice nurse. Uh, it's set in modern times, but you may not know it looking at the setting. Uh, St. Maud entirely follows this, one, this young woman, Maud, played by uh, Morphe Clark, uh, mostly a newcomer. She's done a couple other films. Uh, she is reclusive. She's quiet. She doesn't really have any friends. She has one patient patient who she takes care of, who's mostly live in. She's pretty much there all the time. But the thing Maud has going for her is a devout, pious connection to Christ, right? The, the good Lord God above. She has crosses on her walls and she prays every day and she feels a genuine, intimate, spiritual, often physical connection to him. And when she discovers that her ward, who's quickly dying of cancer, uh, isn't actually saved, right? Her soul is doomed to eternal damnation in the fires of hell. Maud takes it upon, upon herself to try to save her soul and ultimately maybe overcommit to a kind of evil <laughs> that uh, people just don't expect to see in a small film like this. St. Maud is 84 minutes long and change. <laughs> it, is, it, is, it, is, it is not even quite feature length. It features a very small cast as directed by Rose Glass, a filmmaker who I've seen no other films from before this. Uh, Andy, what did you think of St. Maud? Uh, so this is really uh, a nice little interesting film. It it's shot very well, like you said. It it is mostly a character study of a very lonely girl. We learn a little bit that you know she was working at a different hospital for the NHS National Health Service, the NHS, which can be very um, difficult. That like they lack a lot of money and resources. Um, there was something happened where she was terminated or let go from that that job. Um, people are surprised that she's still nursing and can still actually even get a job. So that kind of says a lot about um, her past a, as a nurse. And, you know, she kind of befriends this very uh, famous or, you know, it's someone who who's dying of cancer, but a, who, a dancer. Yeah, she used, was, used to be yeah. a famous dancer. Um, and, and they kind of get along at the beginning. And then <laughs> Maude gets a little overzealous with her uh, her desire to, to kind of convert uh this woman uh but like you said in the end it's just a story about kind of a sad lon lonely girl who has turned to religion to not only not feel lonely but also to kind of turn around her life you get the sense that she used to be like very wild or used to like party a lot as well as you know do doing her job that may have affected her job but she's dealing with a lot of demons of the past and has kind of, seems like she's uh turned her life around 
Yeah, um, it's it's an interesting setup because you looking at the trailer, it seems like Maud is uh, simultaneously our protagonist, right? The character we're following around in the film, but also kind of the villain, right? She's she's also where our, our antagonistic force is coming from, um, because she is this the the vessel <laughs> for really. Uh, whatever kind of energy or evil is happening uh, uh, under the surface. Uh, so it's it's a weird movie to kind of follow because at first it kind of opens with her and, and it's a page out of her diary and we're learning a little bit about her and her day. And it's strange because you know going in, like something's wrong with this woman and I haven't quite figured out what it is yet. And the movie does a really good job of kind of dropping these these breadcrumbs in front of you. They don't actually lead back to anyone. Right. You can just kind of see a little bit of where we've come from, but we don't actually know uh, what it is we've seen. We know Maude has had this past. We know she is kind of this different person now. Like we know there's she used to go out. She used to do things. We know there was some kind of tragic incident that should have pushed her out of nursing. And now she's with a different institution. Um, we know this is what ultimately likely pushed her into God. Right. Into into finding kind of Christianity. Um but what we don't know is what exactly happened. Right. <laughs> and we know it was bloody and we know it was bad and we know she shouldn't have her job anymore. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's an interesting backdrop for a character we don't really know a lot about. Right. And we're, we're also learning that, that she is, she's kind of slowly losing kind of touch with the reality or she's kind of losing her mind. She does have a very physical response to kind of these, um, you know, religious experiences. And, and she, she definitely seeks out pain. Like she does this, uh, you know, at the beginning of the film, she like kneels on rocks to, well, while she, she prays, you know, so they're, she's, uh, they're popcorn kernels. That's right. She opens a microwave bag of popcorn kernels in front of like where she prays and then kneels on them to pray. And it's, <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. Interesting. So the, Interesting body horror. The, yeah, exactly. There, there's a lot of that kind of like cleansing through, through suffering, cleansing through, through pain and and she has um i mean what looks like very kind of almost sexual reactions uh to like you know she'll pray and something will happen that she wanted to happen and uh, she experiences like this divine episode and where she's like writhing on the on the floor and yeah it very very much i think imitates an orgasm yeah yeah, that's that's absolutely yeah uh so she is having very, very what appears to her very real experiences, and she wants to then give that to to her the person that she's looking after. Uh, but there is a lot of conflict, a lot of trouble there. Eventually, the film features a small cast. Um, there's not a lot of people outside of our lead and her ward, uh, this dancer. Uh, there are a few people who kind of drift in and out. Mostly, this woman is staying at home, right? She's can't she, she she cannot leave. She's in she's in like stage five, like it's bad. Um, she's wheelchair bound. Um, but people come visit. Some of them are friends. Uh, at one point, there's a scene with a small birthday party. Others may be lovers uh you know just 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 visitors who come and go and maud uh, unfortunately finds herself in a position where she wants to to in- inject herself into this and say hold on you can't come in here she's resting or, or in the case of somebody who maybe is uh, an adulterer right uh, you can't come in here she has bigger fish to fry this is life and death maud says this I, i'm saving her soul that there is no room for earthly earthly coils earthly, here. Yeah, like, earthly pre- pleasures yeah, like that's we're not doing that here, and 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 
that that quickly comes to a head in the film uh, when our ward discovers that Maud is trying to kind of police around her. But Maud, Maud you're absolutely right, feels a, a genuine physical connection, a tangible connection to whatever this is. And the film never really gives away the ghost. And I love that. It's never going to tell you, hey, she is actually listening to God or hey, she's crazy. You get some really interesting, uh, interesting evidence visually for what may be going on. But ultimately, uh, you have to kind of suss that out before the end of the film. And that's a lot of fun because, again, this is 84 minutes. It's just quick. It's quick. It's, it's fast. It's easy. Uh, and it's refreshing even for being so dark. Mm-hmm. I... I, yeah, I was I was really in, impressed by uh, again it, it's small it it's quick. Um, I'm kind of lost. I had a better point now. Lost my trade. I can thought. I can take and run with it keep, for a minute. Keep going. I'll come yeah, back. Yeah. I'll think about it. I was so impressed it. by the look of this film because this house that we're shooting in looks like it's almost fallen apart. It looks old and it's it, it's it's starting to look dilapidated and it looks like there's mold on the walls. Uh, it looks a lot like a house you'd see in a haunted a haunted house A24 film, but it's visual, right? It represents kind of this older institution of religion and Christianity and these wooden crosses and, and, and wooden prayer beads uh, that, that Maud is, is literally cladding herself in, right? Like this older institution, this historical ancient idea, maybe an ancient evil additionally. Uh, it reflects our ward, right? The woman who's dying, whose house this clearly is, right? It's, this is the end of time. We're on the past. We're, we're, we're past uh, kind of her prime. And the setting fits that. It's dark and it's dingy and it's perfect for an A24 horror <laughs> flick, right? And and it it also plays a really great setting for, sorry, I, I swear I'm almost done. The it's body right. horror stuff <laughs> that you had already talked about, the the, the popcorn kernels or like thumbtacks like in your shoes or or uh, just uh, like little small things that visually are really easy to pull off for a film but make the audience just feel creeped out in their seat. Like it, it, this movie does that a few times and it's really effective, really simple horror filmmaking, really good stuff. Yeah. I wanted to talk about this, the scares a little bit. So there's uh, like we said, a lot, a lot of body horror and there's a, a few, a few scares in here. <laughs> this is what I'll say. You can count the scares on one hand and every one of them made me like jump out of my skin, which I didn't, <laughs> especially there, yeah. there's yeah. There, this, cause this isn't really a jump scare kind of film, No, but, but there's a few in there. And when they, the, the very first one, I like, I just about died. Like I audibly yelled in my apartment. You got that new uh, sound bar though. Yeah. You got it, that big screen, man. I'll be, I bet you were blasting <laughs> it out in there. Um, so, so there, there's some really, really good scares in, in here as well, as well as the body horror stuff. Yeah, and one more quick thing, because um, I know we're coming up on time. Uh, the cast, like I said, is very small, very intimate. Uh, almost entirely women, which is really interesting. I, I thought for a minute there weren't actually any men in the film. There's actually like four or five listed here, and most of them are extras. There, There is one guy who appears briefly in a scene. Otherwise, almost entirely women. Director is Rose Glass. Uh, previously to this, she's done almost all shorts. So this is her first feature. Uh, and, and a special mention from Morphid. I think her name is Morphid. I'm I think it's Morphid. Morphid? Mm-hmm. I think she's from Norway, Morphid Clark. Uh, she's awesome as Maud. She is super good. She's so, like, she just, at times she seems so warm and full of life and, and, and embracing of, like, God's good grace. Other times she's, like, gaunt and hollow and, like, just looks like she's been sucked of all life and love and joy. Uh, really, really outstanding performance from her. Really great stuff. Absolutely. 
Andy, any other thoughts for recommendations? I'm ready. Andy, would you recommend St. Maud? Yeah, absolutely would for, uh, you know, fans of the horror genre. It's quick. It's simple. Again, there's just a handful of people in the movie, 84 four minutes. Uh, and, and again, it's kind of a character study on on loneliness more than anything else. And uh, man, the, the, the stuff that creeps you out really creeps you out. The body horrors, a couple of scares, like it, it's good stuff. I really enjoyed it. I'm in the same boat. Uh, same mod's a lot of fun. And I can't help but say um, it's worth a try. But like in 84 minutes, like how could you not try? <laughs> it's barely over an hour. You could watch this movie on an extended lunch break. Like it's it's crazy how 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 accessible this is. It's on it's on Hulu. Uh, you can go watch it whenever you like. It has on there that it, it like it's got the little Epic subscription thing next to it. But like I don't have that, and it didn't stop me from watching it. it didn't stop Andy I either. I think so. that's where it was originally. It was on that Epic streaming whatever. Yeah, but it's on Hulu now. So yeah, if you have Hulu, go check it out. Um, it's a lot of fun. Uh, you know, it's soft. It's it's not it's not a killer A twenty four flick like The Green Knight, but like you could certainly do worse, right? You could be like Slice. So, uh, same mod, not too shabby. Andy, what are we watching next week? Big week next week. Halloween yes. is, is coming up uh, this weekend. And finally, we have Edgar Wright's Last Night in Soho, uh, which we've been looking forward to all year, uh, starring Anya Taylor-Joy and Thomas and McKenzie. Yes. Uh, we'll see what that's all about this weekend. Looking forward to that a lot, as well as Wes Anderson's The French Dispatch, which also stars uh, the young Chalamet. Timothy that's right. Sh- Timothy Chalamet. Um as well as a huge cast of others, so that's that's kind of the other things. Timothy Chalamet had a huge opening with Dune, and then also a huge opening on on like an indie film. Yep, he could do he's, it all. He, he's the next big thing. Uh, maybe Amazon will scoop him up for Bond. Wouldn't that be a surprise? <laughs> yeah. I mean, pe- uh, people are talking about him like they used to talk about Heath Ledger. Like he's like yes. that big. Yeah, and he's. <laughs> I'm in the same boat as you, man. I don't want to like him. Kid's good. I can't, I can't help deny it. The kid's good. Like he's, yeah. he's got some chops, man. Like he's, he's not just a pretty face. He's, he's good at what he does. Uh, he's good in little women. He's good in this. He's going to be good in French dispatch. I hope I'm De- stoked for French dispatch. Right? I was going to say director Denny Villeneuve said, and I quote, he's, he said something like Timothy Chalamet is a once in a decade kind of talent. Yeah. Like he's, so. he's very good. Uh, you know, it's okay. Don't look, don't, don't, don't fight it. All right. Just get excited. <laughs> yeah. Cause, cause on, we got it. Cause we got hot I'm new on the talent. Train now. Hey, I'm on the if train I could hop now. in a time machine and grab Heath Ledger and bring him to now, you, you bet I would, man. Like we need talent like that. Uh, it's an exciting week at the movies for me. I'm stoked about last night. And so I still have not seen the final trailer for it. I've avoided it at one point. I literally averted my eyes in a theater Andy watched. He saw, he laughed, uh, in French dispatch. I'm stoked about cause I like Wes Anderson, Andy, not so much, but you're going to be objective. I know you can, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Look, it's just going to be, I heard it's kind of short. That's nice. And I'm it's going to be, you know, it's going to be beige and it's going to be a whole lot of symmetrical stuff. You'll sure, love it. Sure, it'll be yeah. great. Yeah. It'll be, it'll be tan. Uh, if you enjoyed the show today, if you like what we're doing here, if you want to hear more, maybe tell us what you thought about Dune or find out what we thought about some other smaller features that we didn't talk about on the show today. Email us at mail at offscriptfilmreview.com. Write into the show. Hit us with some correspondence. We might even read it live on the air. Uh, you can comment on Facebook where we live stream the show every week. Uh, you can find us on iTunes and Spotify. You can rate and review down there. You can let us know what you think of the show. You can email us. You can visit us, excuse me, visit us at our website, offscriptfilmreview.com, where we upload full episodes, interviews, other stuff we got going on. And you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. We're around. We're in all those places. But the biggest thing you can do for the show to do us a solid is just subscribe. 
or follow where you're able, right? If you're watching this on Facebook, throw us a follow. If you're if you're listening on iTunes, hit subscribe. Just you know, keep up with us a little bit. Check in mm -hmm. maybe again sometime with what's going on with your cool off script friends. We'll check in with you and we'll keep you up to date on what's worth watching at the movies. From all of us at Offscript, the home of Bold Cinema, I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Thanks for watching.